The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Got another dude! What's better than this? Guys being dudes. Dudes to the right, dudes to the left, stuck in the middle with you. Got another dude! Heisman Trophy, Bronco Nagurski Award, Ultimate Dudes. Got another dude! O-Line U, Bunch of Dudes. A lot of dudes. Yeah! Welcome to the Lot of Dudes podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, Season 2, Week 11, Special Edition College Game Day episode. The Dudes did the hokey pokey against Virginia Tech on Saturday, sneaking out of Blacksburg with a 31-21 to come-from-behind victory. The tryptophan wore off in the second half, as Travis, when the levy breaks, broke out for 75 yards and two touchdowns, while BC's no-fly zone secondary kept the turnover streak alive. On today's episode, we'll recap one of the biggest road wins in the Daz era, talk dude or pood, and break down the ACC Atlantic showdown against undefeated Clemson on Saturday night in primetime. Matt, what an unbelievable time to be a fan of this Boston College football team. Top 15 in the coaches poll, I guess, but we'll count that. Uh, college game day coming to town, playing meaningful football in November. I don't know if we thought we'd ever get back to this point with how low things got, you know, especially during the Spaz years, but it feels so good. Um, and to add to the excitement of this week, get this, we have a new presenting sponsor. Matt, as of today, the Lot of Dudes podcast is officially in partnership with Boston College 24-7, uh, which is by far the best BC site out there today. Uh, these guys have been on fire with content all season long, and we are absolutely psyched to be working together. Um, Matt, also noteworthy here. So 24-7 is officially under the CBS Sports umbrella. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this means that we're now officially co-workers with uh, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, and Jeff Probst. I tell you what, that's a trio that uh, you could do a lot of things with there, Matt. Uh, but yeah, you hit the nail on the head here. College game day is officially coming to Chestnut Hill. Um, and, and I assume you have this in one of your segments, but I'm just going to cut to the chase. Uh, just about a year ago, um, Reese Davis, it was after we beat Florida State on that Friday night game. Beat him 35 to three. Reese Davis famously ridiculed Boston College with their, uh, what do you say, Musco lighting and the field hockey lines on the football field. Just a, just a short year away or a short year ago. Um, and now we have College Game Day coming to Chestnut Hill, coming to our city, as the song goes, as they say, to win the ACC Atlantic. Yeah, it's, it really is. It's, it's unfathomable to be completely honest. Again, like I said, we're, you know, and, and we knew that we were progressing and we knew things were getting better, but even, Three years ago, even the Jeff Smith quarterback years that we thought we'd be playing a top 15 game for the ACC on primetime for college game day. So uh, let's dive right into the Virginia Tech game, basically how we got here. We all knew coming in, we had our sources that told you last week that if both us and Clemson won last weekend, we would have game day. So we knew going in that there was an absolute ton on the line, uh, which ratcheted the pressure up to about 100 and in I'll be honest, it was an unpleasant uh, viewing experience. You know, I had knots in my stomach the entire time. Overall, it was just a, a, a really weird game. Well, when we said it a million times, too. I mean, this is a game that BC loses because everything's on the line, right? You have college game day on the line. You have the ACC Atlantic uh, postseason contention on the line. This is a game that BC loses 101 times out of 100. Exactly. Um, and for that reason, you come into it with, with a little bit of dread. You're going into Blacksburg. The odds are stacked against you. And, um, you know, a lot of people were thinking we could pull it off. That, that's another negative in my mind. But you're right. And the, and the way that it really started off in the first half was, uh, you know, did nothing to the contrary, I guess, to settle some of those fears. Well, and not only, yeah, not only does the historical Boston College program lose this 10 years out of 10 years, this is a game that any team in, in, in memory loses. Once you're halfway through the game, you look completely lifeless. You're down a touchdown. You're in a hostile environment, which I was surprised by. It was completely packed. Um, it was loud. I think it was their homecoming weekend, which which would explain it. But the fact that we saw basically a completely different team in the second half, and, and we'll obviously get into the details here shortly, uh, was just a surprise and something that I don't think we're, we're used to whatsoever. So I, I honestly have nothing but great things to say about where this program is right now and, and you know could not be more excited for 
for this coming week? It was funny. It was kind of the the inverse of the Miami game uh, the week before. With with the, with the Miami game, you sort of had well, first of all, BC led the entire way of the Miami game, right? It was it was pretty pretty good domination by BC throughout from the beginning, and then this week it was sort of the opposite, right? You you, you had that touchdown to start things off, and then you lost momentum there for a while for for most of the rest of the first half, really. Yeah, we had so Matt in the first half we had five punts, including three three and outs. Again, pretty much after that that. Uh, I guess it was the second drive, was a touchdown drive, but yeah, it was it was an absolutely lifeless performance. And you know, we said it. We were watching together down in Philly, and we, and we said to each other, you know, it's a seven point deficit, but it felt like ten touchdowns. Like it felt completely insurmountable with the way we were not moving the ball whatsoever. And it just somehow, maybe it's Adazio's, you know, halftime speeches or whatever it is. Just a different team, and again, can't say enough good things about it. Yeah, and just as last week, we said that you know this BC team is exactly who we thought they would be coming into the year with all our big players stepping up. Right, we had you know against Miami, it was it was the Zach Allen show, it was the AJ Dillon show, it was, it was kind of the the, the Conister Hand show. The guys that you know we knew were going to step up all year did so. This week it was it was sort of the opposite, right? Dylan goes down with an injury. Brown never really shows up. Um, he he did have a, a better second half, but that first half was uh, was pretty brutal. In his defense, you know th- there was you know pretty constant pressure in his face. I didn't think the line played that great to start off with, but even when he had time, he was missing missing the open guys. And it's the it's the Anthony Brown that we're sort of scared of seeing. And uh, we tweeted out, you know, we love Anthony Brown. He's he's a great kid, and when he's on, he's on, and he's he's exactly who we want playing the QB position. When he doesn't have it, our whole offense uh, can can fall apart, especially when when Dylan isn't isn't clicking. And you know it makes sense, right? Because they sort of have the same scheme that Purdue used against us. But it felt a lot like that Purdue game, and that you know they were sort of scoring at will for a little bit for those first couple drives, and then we couldn't do anything whatsoever on offense. How about how about this, Matt? So it was Halloween uh, last weekend. Tell me if this one works. We saw a little Jekyll and Hyde from Anthony Ooh, Brown on Saturday afternoon. I like that. So the first half, yeah, thank you. So the first half, like you said, it was it was the bad Anthony Brown, the Tony Tunnel vision. He was missing guys wide open. He had Mike Walker on what would have been a ninety yard uh, touchdown, just overthrew him five yards. Not cycling through his progressions. Pretty much, we weren't going to win with him. And what we saw in the second half was, I think, everything we hoped that we would have out of him this year and beyond. He was crisp on, a th- on his throws. He was finding the open guys. And more importantly, he was choosing to run at the right times. I do think it seems like the way the offense is built, a lot of these are, uh, you know, QB reads where pretty much like he's the one deciding on the line whether they hand it off or, or take off. And to be honest, he, he had that, I guess, one fumble on a bad exchange. But other than that, he has been lights out with his decisions, had a couple huge runs to spark. Uh, you know, the offense in the second half. So was absolutely thrilled with that, what we saw out of him uh, in the latter half of that game. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to this in a bit, but we're going to need everyone at full tilt, but mostly him if we even have a chance on Saturday night. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little less high on Brown than I guess I guess you are. I, I, I'll agree with you that he had a better second half, obviously, than first half. Not saying an awful lot there. But before we talk about Brown, you got to talk about Travis Levy. Levy's been in this sort of, oh, I call it a Shane, Shane, Vereen, Shane Vereen role, right? Um, he, he's almost been like an afterthought to Dylan. The pump block specialist. Exactly. See, exactly. So that's on my list here, Matt. He can do an awful lot <laughs> more than just recover punts in the end zone. You stole the punchline there that right right then, Matt. But anyway. Oh, jeez. <laughs> jeez. Uh, all right. So, But but anyway, uh, he's sort of been an afterthought to Dylan. But let's not forget that he was a big-time recruit coming in. He was the Maryland Gatorade Player of the Year. And a personal favorite to me, um, he, he's kind of been my my spring game hero for a couple of consecutive years now. I think it was 2017 where I made that that infamous proclamation that he was going to be uh, you know better running back than AJ Dillon. Um, I, I thought he was on track to win the Heisman after the 2017 spring game, but he he proved that he can do an awful lot more than just recover punts in the end zone. He was hitting holes hard, um, and he he was he was uh, making making the right cuts. And, and the way that the line played it, they were opening up the holes and we just need someone to execute. But re- what really stuck out to me was, was that I think it was the second touchdown, right? Where he had that awesome second effort. The second effort. It was, yeah. it was just. Well, Virginia Tech just absolutely gave up. Everyone did yeah. give up, but, but Matt, we're, yeah. we're, we're trying, to, trying to stay positive here. No, great, I hear you. Great second effort um, to get in the end zone. I think it was a third down, wasn't it? So that was uh, that was huge to get no, it was, in there. It was, it was second and goal, but he would have lost two yards if they got him. And I don't want a third and two with, you know, a. a 
pretty much crucial score on the line. Right, right, exactly. So I, I think toughness just kind of personified by that play. And, um, you know, obviously we need Dylan if we want to have a shot against Clemson, but it's great that guys like Levy and to a lesser extent, Glines and, and Bailey, when they've been called upon as well, can step up and provide that depth when Dylan goes down. Yeah, exactly. And so so the update on Dylan as of Daz's press conference today is that he is day-to-day. Uh, I think a lot of people watching the game, including us, uh, you know, even going back and watching the highlights, thought that it was that play where it was like a 15-yard rush and then he got knocked out of bounds and into a cameraman. Um, and he looked a little shaken up, but he got back in and he did end up running a couple plays I think into the fourth quarter and then he was out the rest of the day. But it seemed like on the sidelines afterwards, you know, he had his helmet with him the whole time. He seemed to be in good spirits uh, after the game. So I'm not overly concerned, but the reality is that we need him out there, period. Even if he's not at 100%, he is just such a difference maker, changes how the defenses play. And again, even at 50%, he's an incredible running back. So yeah, I'm with you. That's that's one that we uh, absolutely need, but it is very reassuring to know that we have the depth here. Uh, and, and not even just the depth, but that this team will step up when, you know, when guys go down. Um, the other one I want to talk about again, and, and we've certainly harped on these guys over the last three weeks, but this second half defense, I don't know what it is with these guys. They look so mortal in the first half. Like they, they give up these, you know, sustained 80 yard touchdown drives over 15 plays. And it just looks like Virginia Tech could do that all day. In the second half, it's just consistently a different team. We know the deal by now. Uh, they gave up seven points, but now that's, I guess, only 14 in the second half over the last four games. And those seven were – that was garbage time in my mind. That, that yeah, really right. doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Virginia Tech had nine second-half drives. Four of those were punts. Two of those were turnover on downs. One pick. Uh, one missed field goal in the touchdown. If you exclude the touchdown drive, they only gave up four first downs in the entire half, which is absolutely remarkable. Uh, and and I'll say, too, in the first half, I think Virginia Tech was was making great plays. It wasn't necessarily that anyone was playing poorly. But when a team is making good plays, it's your defense who's responsible for stopping those. And they did that in the second half. So I, I don't know how to explain how the tables turn for these guys either. But I'm not I'm not going to complain about not the strongest first half. Because I'll keep going. I'll, I'll spot you 21 points in the first half if we're going to shut you down in the second half. And I think we'll win a lot of ball games that way. Yeah, yeah it's a good point. Uh, those two touchdowns in particular, and it was the same thing with Miami. It's kind of like our bugaboo. It's it's those uh, those toss-up plays in the corner right. of the end zone. Those tall receivers kill us, man. They, they do. They did, it, they did it at NC State, too. Well, yeah, and and more, we'll talk about Clemson uh, in a little bit, but uh, you know that's something we got to shore up or, or try to at least. But it, it sort of comes with the territory. We have you know Hamp, who I would not trade for any cornerback in the country. Um, you know we have Tajamir Torres, we have Brandon Sebastian, right? Those are our cornerbacks. They're not the biggest guys, right? And so it's sort of a trade off. You know, Hamp's you know obviously is is electric when it comes to picking the ball off and positioning, but he's not going to be able to go up and, and get it against a uh, you know he's up against a guy that's six five. And so we saw yeah, that I thought he played that. I thought he played that pretty he well. Did. It, just, it, yeah, as good it as you could play, size advantage. right? It's just like again, it's I'm bigger than you, and I'm going to go up and get it. And you give those guys credit for for making those plays. And they were they were almost like identical touchdowns. One was from like thirty yards out, the other one was closer up. But it's the same it's the same sort of pass. And Trevor Lawrence can do that all day against us, unfortunately. So that's something to, to think about. But um, well, I'm brought, out of the you, cold, but we'll get to that. That's true. You, you brought up a good point too about you know how we changed things in the second half. And I did a little bit of research here, Matt. And I'm not, I don't pretend to be you know the master of the X's and O's here. I barely played through eighth grade football, but we schematically significantly changed things up in the second half. We we sort of stopped blitzing, uh, which you isn't always the best thing to do, right? I mean, you want to stay aggressive on defense, but, you know, we were giving these guys, uh, you know, pretty pretty good-sized cushion, and it, w- it was resulting in, in some, you know, not even huge plays as much as just the consistent 10 to 15-yard passes that we were giving up. And so what I think – I'll say what Adazio did, but I think there's someone else tinkering back there. I don't know if it's Jim Reed. I think it's sneaky. Might be Anthony Campanelli, who, who was recently named co-defensive coordinator. Yeah, I could definitely buy that. I think he, you know, is kind of this innovative mindset that uh, that knows how to make these halftime adjustments because it's not characteristic of, of Adazio, right? So, but you saw, well, especially, and not on the defensive side of the ball either. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah, but, but you saw this change, and and it whatever whatever they did, right? It worked. So, and, and it starts up front. Those guys were still getting to the quarterback. We were only rushing four at times, but they were still getting pressure. And and it kind of goes with the theme of the underrated guys stepping up. Tanner. Rafa, who I barely knew who he was coming into this game. We we had seen our defensive tackles not play the best this year, particularly in the run stop. But Tanner Carafa, who plays alongside Ray Smith, seven tackle or eight tackles, 
two and a half tackles for a loss, which are just kind of absurd numbers for a defensive tackle. You're kind of supposed to stand there and and plug up space, but he was getting penetration all night. And so in the the front seven as a whole were, again, just huge run stuffers, held them to 3.1 yards per carry. Um, It was a total of 111 yards rushing, but again, 50 of those were from the quarterback, which again is something we'll have to shore up. But I'll tell you, Matt, they, they, that team just flipped a switch at halftime. And, you know, if we can if we can keep that going, if we can put a full game together on the defensive side of the ball, we can keep this close against Clemson, I think. No, I'm with you. And yeah, Tanner Carafa was on my list to give a shout out to as well. Uh, I think he was a Virginia native, so playing in front of a lot of family and friends. I don't know if there's a little extra motivation there, too. Uh, only other note I have on him, Matt, he looks exactly like one of the kids from School of Rock. Uh, I don't know the name because I don't know the characters in School of Rock, but one of those that's that's worth looking into. Um, yeah, again, it, you know, it, it was a weird game in that it didn't feel good at all for the first uh, beyond that first touchdown drive for the first you know forty minutes or so of game time, and then just flipping that switch. To me, this was a validation win in that what we're seeing so far has not been a mirage and simply a factor of the rest of the ACC being down. Yes. Virginia Tech is also down and everyone we've played has not been a great year. But at the end of the day, these are still games that if we were just an average team who happens to be playing poor teams, we still drop a game like this. Uh, That's just kind of the nature of the beast. So for these guys to actually get over that hump tells me, okay, we actually have something here. We have something special. And, you know, beyond just that, with everything on the line, you know, these guys can say they ignore the stories and they are are keeping their heads out of of Twitter all week, all they want. But that's just not true. They knew they were playing for game day. They knew they were playing for a primetime game. Maybe we shouldn't have broken that news then. Maybe we should have held off on breaking that news until after the game. If not us, who? We're journalists. I know. I know. Matt, we're we're, we're sponsored journalists now. We we have a choice. Excellent. I don't want to, I don't want to, your head to get too big here, but that's an excellent call on the Tanner Carafa. um, He's kind of like the bully in School Rock. I think, I think you nailed it. Here's my unbelievable stat of the day. You ready? It's just the third time in the Adazio era that BC has come back to win trailing at halftime. And that, that's just like an absolute indictment. That, yeah, that's horrible. On Adazio. Yep. And it's hard to believe it's real that, you know, that he's been here six years. Uh, and I was trying to remember what they were. I didn't have time to, to go check. I think Louisville last year was for sure. I did look, I did check that one. We were trailing at halftime there. Yep. And then I couldn't, I couldn't find the other one. Maybe UMass. Remember when UMass got out to an early lead against us? I don't know if we were chilling at halftime. We, we played them tight. I doubt we were ever losing, but we played them tight. Yeah, yeah. but but to I only have some kind of rant. yeah, to only have two comeback wins. Like, can you like even if you're down by like a field goal at halftime, we never came back and win that or only three times. Right. It's 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 unreal. Um, whereas Fuente had has never lost a halftime lead while, while at Virginia Tech. So pretty impressive there. Kind of a, a role reversal there. But and, and you hit the nail on the head too. Again, when you said. I mean, beaten, and, and it's a down year, right? But three straight double-digit wins over Louisville, Miami, Virginia Tech. I don't think anyone saw that coming. You know, we talk about 10-2 and two all, the t- all the time. This is not how I thought we were going to do 10-2, and two, Matt. It's, it's incredible that we're, uh, you know, we're cooking with gas at the right time. And uh, if I'm Clemson right now, I'm not scared just because they haven't, you know, lost by less than 50 in a while. But I'm whatever not scared is, but close to scared. I'm like kind of thinking, hey, we might only beat BC by 40. Right. But Matt, I'm with you. This was a, a great Saturday. It wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. Uh, I don't think we thought it would be easy. But look, we came out of there with uh, the goal that we had going in, and that was to get a win, and that was to secure game day. With that, do you want to get uh, into the segments of the week here? Yeah, Matt. Let's do it. Here's what I'd like to do first. Actually, what do you want to do this week? Do you want to do due to the week before we do anything else, or do you want to do due? Yeah, why not? Okay, let's do yeah, that. Let's, let's do due to the week. All right. We touched on a little bit. Matt, what I'd like to do with due to the week, I'd like to... Uh, take back my Daz due to the week from last week, and I'd like to apply it for this week. Can I do that? Okay. I mean, yeah, you're, we'll make up the rules in this show as we as we go. So that's yeah. Fine. I just I want to do over. Matt, I've known I've known Coach Adazio for six years now, and he's graded a ton of things. But being trailing at halftime, making halftime adjustments, and pulling out a W is not on the list of things he's great at. But I just I just want to give him all the credit in the world for a. Just two straight weeks out coaching, you know, pretty darn good coaches. Um, B, even when we were down, he never threw his kids under the bus. Fuente had a quote post game saying, you know, it wasn't play calling. We just executed poorly. When I think there's a, you know, there's a lot you could say there that, that their offensive game planning just wasn't up to the, the par of our defensive adjustments. So for those two reasons, Adazio not only is becoming a good, pretty good football coach right in front of our eyes, he would never throw the kids under the bus like that. So again, just Credit to, to credit to Adazio for everything for bringing you know game day back to BC, bringing BC back to relevance for the first time since 07. 
um, and all the above. Daz is my dude of the week, and he's probably my dude of the week for the for the uh, foreseeable future here, Matt. So um, I'm kind of tone deaf to the outside world. So I, I, are people getting sick of this? You think? I'm not sure, but either way, I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I think you just got to keep going to that well. So no complaints for me I, here, Matt. I will. <laughs> I'm sure. So my dude of the week, I've got a few here. Uh, obviously, the first one is Levy. Guy stepped up when when our horse went down and was an absolute monster in the second half. We don't win that game without that performance out of him, I don't think. Uh, or you know, at least if one of the running backs steps up, so that was completely necessary and phenomenal. Uh, Brandon Sebastian, so he's been—I'd say there's a bit of a learning curve for him. Uh, he's been in, kind of the scapegoat all season. Uh, I, I don't think yeah, it's, exactly. I, I think at times he's deserved it. I think he got lit up against Purdue in particular, right? But, right. It's his first year playing out there. I, I mean, I think he's kind of taken the brunt of uh, some of the deficiencies we've seen, you know, across the entire defense all year. So exactly, and again, he had that phenomenal pick, that toe tap, and was ACC defensive back of the week. So you have to give credit there. And then, last but certainly not least, it, are you going to give me Corab? No, no, you you can take. Oh, okay, no, go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted. I'm going to go with uh, Cool Hand Colton Ooh, Colton Lichtenberg. So. We've obviously had a tumultuous relationship with our special teams over the past, I don't know, really since Nate Freeze left, I guess. For him to come in and really over the past two or three years, he's had some clutch kicks, Colton has. Uh, it does completely change the game when we actually have a kicker and we know that we can make something, you know, beyond outside of 10 yards. Uh, that clutch kick at the end of the game was absolutely huge. And I know we keep harping on this of the games that BC loses in the past, but BC teams in the past we missed that kick and they end up coming down and tying it and winning in overtime. So uh, absolutely clutch ice in his veins was not an easy kick. Uh, cool hand Colton add that to the nickname mantle that we continue to grow every week. Yeah, that came, that came along real nice. And Hey, Travis, uh, when the levy breaks, I think that's electric. I think that will play. Yeah, He levied, he levied, uh, levied pain on the defense. He, le- do a lot with that. he levied the taxes that Virginia tech now has to pay for losing to BC. Matt, Coreb Adrizi, which is just a ridiculous name, um, but it's but it's our <laughs> ridiculous name. So um, huge touchdown catch. He also was the recipient of that ridiculous uh, quadruple reverse flea flicker uh, that netted about nine yards. What a, what a ridiculously <laughs> hard-working The Rolodex, baby. The Rolodex yards. strikes again. Yeah, I don't think that play is supposed to do that. I think that play is supposed to be a, a, a larger gain. But either way, Corab with the enormous touchdown catch. And Vontek just didn't defend it. It was a pretty easy route over the middle. But you got to execute those, and that touchdown was enormous. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely agree. And we said it a million times, but these four guys, Travis Levy, Corab Adrizi, Brandon Sebastian, Tanner Carafa, the list goes on absolutely stepped up huge and these were not the guys that we said at the beginning of the year that we're going to be right you know, huge for heroes. BC. That's absolutely the absolutely it's a team effort across the board and a huge win for the boys definitely so in the dude or pood here my dude is probably going to be the same as your dude whether or not you're actually including it or not but just a chance to talk about it college game day coming to bc is absolutely incredible uh we had it our freshman year for call it bigger than football but it was more for the whole hers like cancer announcement rather than a big football game we were unranked at the time and i think florida state was like 22 or or low 20s to actually earn this and to say that far and away we are the best game on the card uh, in this week is is a huge accomplishment again we've talked about this before getting us back to uh certainly we're not at the mountaintop yet but we've made significant progress and we're in a good spot this is you know, huge for so many reasons, obviously for the fans who have been through a lot of ups and downs over the past years. This is something that we can really enjoy and have fun with. And, you know, it's huge for the program as well. This is something that recruits care about. And this is exciting. If you're a recruit or you're on the fence, you're thinking about your college choices in the next couple of years, both as a student or just a, or I'm sorry, both as an athlete, uh, you know, or as just a, a regular student, this is a very, very, very cool thing to put in the recruiting profile and the videos and everything that comes with that. So, what a turnaround from a few years ago and just absolutely awesome from the school. The only, I'll say, pooed within a dude is I'm already concerned about how hoarse I will be because I'm just going to boo uh, Loris Davis for the entire three-hour segment because I don't forget and I hold grudges and he's said bad things about Boston College in the past. Yeah, and tell you what, Matt, I don't know what the demographic is of our target audience here. I, I think that we have a lot of students, though. And I guess the message from our end would be when we went uh, – so College Game Day, like you said, came our freshman year. Um, it was like a month into school, right? It was, it was pretty cool that, that they came and you and I were there. We weren't friends yet at that time, I don't think, but, uh, we were there separately with different groups. I was, I was there front row. You were probably in the mix as well, right? And we brought our signs. We, you know, we, we went to bed early the night before, you know, got a couple hours of sleep, right? And then woke up at 4 a.m. or whatever and, and made the walk down to, what was what used to be the dust ball, which you guys don't even know exists anymore. Which that's probably where they'll be doing it still, right? I assume that same Stokes lawn. Yeah, because I, I, I think you have to have gas in, in the background. I mean, it's an awesome right. shot. You 
know, the way they set up right. the studio. Are there are there buildings blocking it now? I don't think so, right? Right no, in front of Lions. Stokes is to the Stokes would be to the left of that. So yeah, that you're right. Matter. Yeah, yeah. So so you know, right outside of Fulton, right. Um, but just get there, get there early, be loud. And, you know, we've seen all the, the backlash already for everyone saying, you know, BC, what are you, what are you doing going to Boston? That's a professional sports town. Um, I guess the challenge would, that we would throw out is just, you know, get there, be loud, be, you know, get there early and, and, you know, represent Boston College and, you know, the boys deserve your support. So, uh, so just make it happen. And, you know, it's one of the reasons you go to a school like BC is because you, you have big time athletics and, and, you know, college game day, the entire, the, the biggest stage in college, or college sports really is is going to be in your front lawn on, on saturday morning so just be there and, and make bc proud matt with that i'm going to roll into my pood which is related and it's a funny one i think the the careful what you wish for crowd is is i think a small group but it's people that uh were pretty vocal saying tell you what bc is going to lose by 50 uh in front of the entire country uh yeah. they're going to get absolutely exp- exposed they're going to get blown out I don't know what your take is on this, but yeah, I kind of see this as we're, we're already playing with house money. You know, we, we got here and they've won their last three games by one billion, including over some pretty good teams, NC State in particular, right? Florida State. We could lose by 70 and I wouldn't really bat an eyelash. I wouldn't be thrilled, but everyone in their, and their mother knows that Bama and Clemson are kind of on their own planet this year. But exactly. There right. are some so, things so I think- going our way that we could pull this off, but that's not the expectation. I mean, the fact that that's a legitimate concern for people that, you know, BC might get exposed is a little absurd. Right. And again, you know, I think a couple of factors working for us here. First is that it is the college game experience. If this is just a primetime game, then there's certainly a little bit less to it because our enjoyment of the day is, okay, well, we'll have an awesome tailgate, but it's possible that 10 minutes into the game, you know, playing against a great team, it could be starting to get out of reach college game day. You're not going to be able to take that from us. That's going to be a phenomenal three hours for the school and for everyone, you know, who, who, who gets to go there live us included. And, and then the tailgate's going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm just so excited for this day from start to finish. Yeah. The, the game itself is, and you and I probably care more than the average fan in the stands at that point, but it is to an extent house money uh, as you know, and, and Clemson is this good that, even if we go out and lose by 50 points, that would be painful. And it would really uh, affect me and make me upset for a little while because I think you and I both care more about this than we probably healthily should. But uh, it's not going to change the exposure that we got as a program and, and what we've gotten to this point. And also, it's not going to change the team we have. And we still have two winnable games at the back half of this. But again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here because I think what we're saying right now is is not going to be in line with our predictions, uh, which will be much more uh, optimistic. But I completely agree. Those people are just trolls just out and it's honestly the same commenters too so i honestly don't pay them any mind uh it just is what it is and it's a necessary evil when you have a good football team there's going to be people who come and try to detract agreed agreed um and they're probably like yukon fans or i don't even know what they are at this point but it's holy uh, cross could be anything right yeah i I guess so i just i I can't believe that people are actually wasting their time you know writing words on social media to to say that but anyway I, i did have one other dude in addition to game day i just matt it was great having you in Philly. We went to the uh, the Game Watch bar. Well, no, actually, pooed within the dude here. The Fox and the Hound, which is the official Philly Game Watch, uh, got big timed by the Michigan Penn State game because I think they're also officially a, a Michigan bar as well. Just kind of sad. So I don't know if, if there's any Philly uh, people working for the Philly alumni chapter or whatever it is. But you got to have a contingency plan in place or something. We ended up going to the Virginia Tech bar. You know, a couple streets over, met some great Virginia Tech fans. We accidentally won a, a Virginia Tech raffle. We ended up winning some shot glasses, but just a great day. But also just that that pood. We got to figure it out. Uh, just as a as a town here in Philly, Matt. I hear you. I had a lot of fun down there. Uh, glad the locals were were receptive to us, and it's always fun when we get to watch a win. So overall, all good. My pood was actually about a different game watch, and specifically an entire TV market. So apparently, in the New York TV market, the game pretty much the channel wasn't a problem with you know the tv or the acc or anything like that just the channel basically started blacking out the game for a good chunk of the third quarter so i was texting some people who were at dewey's the new york watch party basically you know sending screenshots of the tv saying our feed just went out and it was coming in from other people on twitter so it wasn't a, a local thing but basically the entire new york television market the game blacked out for a good portion and apparently the scene was wild because again at the game watch bar as you can imagine people are texting and on twitter so people were kind of discovering it was actually during one of our touchdown drives so one person you know shouted out he saw on twitter and he said oh we scored and the player in the place went nuts but uh, a pood there 
this is what happens. We don't get on ESPN, but we continue to win. We will get on ESPN more often, and yeah, these problems the will, uh, will go away. What was that channel that we were on? At least in Philly, it was yeah, the yeah, it was it, it was, was the like live the second, free channel. So it was the second regional one. Yeah, in Philly, it was like live well. Live, live uh, well. In Boston, I think it was my TV fifty eight or whatever, which isn't I guess that obscure. For BC, and then in New York, a ranked BC versus Virginia yeah. Tech, that's unbelievable. It's the ACC. You got to yeah. So the Pood is the ACC network not putting us on. Uh, not putting us on ESPN, I guess. Yeah. But again, overall, and this is two weeks in a row now, I've had very not that big of a deal poods because we played well and we've gotten wins. So I'll take it. I'll keep complaining about very minute details all day long. Matt, the poods used to be the easy part. Now it's kind of hard to come up with, you know, what's wrong with this or, you know, what's wrong with BC this football. Sucks, man. Or- I wish I wish we weren't so good. It, it would be easier to do our jobs. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree with you. What's next? Is it Eagles in the Wild next? Yeah, so let's do a special edition Eagles in okay. the Wild here. So I want to go through... Again, it's a game day theme here. I want to go through who we're thinking for the game day guest pickers. Normally, they pick someone who went to the school. Not always the case, though, but for the sake of this exercise, let's run through some of the possible eagles in the wild that we could see coming back to the nest to be the game day pickers. And let me just, I'll start with this. The guest pickers thus far have been very underwhelming. And some of that's a little biased. And also irrelevant. I, I, yeah. Irrelevant too. Alex Bregman, LSU guy, right? He sucked. And I'm just I'm just saying that as, you know, a yeah, Red Sox like fan that hates him. He just kind of, he sucked. He wasn't funny. His picks were horrible. I didn't check the, the stats, but every single pick he made, I disagreed with. So did Corso. He picked by, Virginia Tech. So did, yeah. so did Corso, by the Tech. way. Yeah, he was the only one that picked Vot Tech. Shocker that, you know, he picks against the Boston team. Still, you know, everyone's in his head about that. Um, Evander Holyfield said maybe four words the whole time uh, the week before. Well, his son plays on Georgia, but yeah, he didn't do a good the job. The only good one so far have really been Drew Bledsoe I thought was excellent. And then I really liked Otter from Animal House. That was about it. Otherwise... That was a weird one. Yeah, I was trying to look him up. He didn't go to Oregon. I don't know why he was there. Oh, you, you didn't watch the, the special Gene Wojciechowski piece. He, uh, I did not. So uh, uh, Animal House took place in Oregon. Oregon. That's just that's why they... No, it took place in, it took place in, in uh, Dartmouth. Yeah, so they shot it in Oregon. I'm, I'm very positive about that. It was a whole game day okay. piece about that. So agree to disagree gotcha. there. Um, okay. But anyway, right. uh, anyways, <laughs> get onto your get onto your Eagles in the Wild. Who you think uh, is it has a chance of showing up on Saturday? All right, do you want to do a snake draft? Sure. Well, let's just run through your list. I don't think we're gonna have a ton of overlap here. Okay. Uh, so I think the one that that probably makes the most sense. Now, I would say the leader in the clubhouse, and I, I I'm kind of rooting for this one because he's my good friend, Luke Keekley. So uh, Thursday night football is Panthers this week. Panthers, someone else. Um, so he's off this weekend. Make a lot of sense for him to swing by Chestnut Hill Saturday morning. My only concern is if he would actually say no to that just because, um, and everyone says this for, within the Panthers organization, he's just obsessed with watching film. All he does is just, you know, watch film. So it's still in season. So I wonder if he would refuse that. But that would be, I think Keekle would make a ton of sense there. He's great in front of a camera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you want to go next? Sure, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off a couple quick ones here because I, I don't think necessarily. Well, I have one main pick that I do think has a very good chance. So my first one is Pete Frades. I think he has a very good chance. He'll certainly, I think, be a cornerstone of at least a feature, uh, whether that's the Tom Rinaldi piece or you know one of one of the the central pieces of game day they always do something college specific it's a you know whatever it's a very nice piece very well done piece so at, at a minimum he'll be that uh, but i think it would be pretty cool if they if they brought him out to be the guest picker ESPN, there's obviously a lot of guys involved with the Frady's Foundation and everything like that. So that would make a lot of sense to me. And, and everyone knows it with the Ice Bucket Challenge and everyone yep, knows about exactly. ALS, right? So it, it would make a lot of sense. So Flutie, I have on my list. He would make uh, – he'd be a, a, a top pick. He's by far our biggest name in the football program. Uh, I'm going to say no overall because he is on the NBC Notre Dame broadcast that night. He could make it work because it's a 7 o'clock game in South Bend, but it would be – unnecessarily tight for him to worry about getting to the airport and then getting out there. And I think it's a snowy night in South Bend, so they probably don't want him to be risking not flying in on time. So I'm going to rule him out. They'd Amy love to Poehler make a, a, whole, a whole dog and pony show about how Herb Street has to fly out on a jet That's like true. ASAP. Yeah. So maybe they want to do that. Wheels up for, sponsorship. Yeah, maybe not for the guests, but yeah, Wheels Up could could you know get some extra royalties right. out of that. So a couple a couple others I think are possibilities that I don't think will happen. Amy Poehler, so she's a BC, relation, uh, BC alumnus. Sounds like she doesn't have a great relationship with BC because of some of the social stances that the church has taken. That's at least what a guy on Reddit said. So huh. take that for what it's worth. Uh, TV12 would <laughs> TV12 would be awesome, uh, but they're on the road, so that won't work. Herzlick works for ESPN. 
I could see them doing that, but to be honest, and no offense, I just feel like that would be kind of boring. Like it would be the same as getting one of the Hasselback brothers. Like it just wouldn't really well, move and the needle. He was for me. also like a fixture nine years ago. I'm not saying that's a well, bad so that's thing. Why it they, was that's almost why they would do it. I feel like to call back to that, but I would be and, underwhelmed and if it was hers. Like he wasn't the guest picker. Teddy Bruschi, right? Was the guest picker. Right, it was Bruschi, yeah. But he, I mean, when you think back to game day, you remember the, yes, they they came for hers like rightly. You so. remember hers like announcing he was cancer free, which was awesome. But um, yes, I think there's a lot of. I think there's a lot of cup. I think Boston is you could you could go any direction with it and do a lot better than you know. We've done. I'm not saying hers like wouldn't be great. He would be, um, but you think about the Red Sox just won the World Series. Would they do like a Mookie Betts, even though, or, mm-hmm. or even like a David yeah, Ortiz? I mean last week. So clearly they like to pull in the baseball theme. Yeah, when we, they I don't know if that would hurt it, awesome. hurt it or help it. But yeah, you could do sure. Mookie or David Ortiz. He's electric. Or Ortiz would be great. Yeah, like you were saying, Ortiz is not on my list, but that would be sick. Do they go the well? He remember his uh, vitamin water sponsorship was affiliated with BC Baseball. Very loose connection. But anyway, that's right. Um, that's right. Or you, you do you dip into the, the yeah, I went to a barbecue with him freshman year. He barbecued at Shea Field. Exactly. You, you got it. There we go. Or do you go the, you know, the other celeb angle? You dip into the, the Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, uh, even Mark Wahlberg, who has the best agent in the world and seems to get involved in literally everything. I'm surprised. I'd be shocked if he hasn't thrown his hat. And apparently the he's a BC fan. They mentioned that on Reddit as well. He, Big Reddit day for BC. Yeah, Wahlberg is, is whatever he needs to be to slide into whatever. I would love Affleck. Um, and everyone knows my thoughts on, on Ben, how he got screwed out of the Oscar for best actor in The Accountant, which I'm sure you guys all enjoyed. It was a great film. Um, so I'd love to see, you know, what if you brought out Ben Affleck and Damon, sort of like a good, Goodwill hunting thing. And I don't know. You could go a million different ways with this. Right. Uh, I also like, as an outside pick, Chris O'Donnell. So they've had some like mid-level actors, including Otter, obviously from Animal House. So I could see someone like that, BC guy. My actual pick for who I think it's going to be, I think they're going to go with Joe Tessitore. Monday night, they obviously have the huge ESPN Monday Night Football connection. His son's on the team. Yeah, but then you got to talk about like, hey, his son's on the team, but he missed a million field goals and now he's benched. I don't know about that, Matt. I don't think I don't think they would worry about that. I, that that to me, if I had to. Well, Kikli would be my number one odds on favorite, maybe followed by Frady's, but Tessator I think would be in my top three. Wahlberg is my sleeper pick. And the more that I think about it, the more I've talked myself into it. That guy like shows up on Entourage. He is on like, he's, he's in, on part of my take this week. I'm just telling you, he, he, he has his way of getting into things that he shouldn't be in. And this would be a prime example of that. Yeah, no, I agree. So either way, I, I, let's just hope it is actually somewhat exciting and not, you know, crazy underwhelming. I love Bruski. Bruski's one of my favorite Patriots of all time. But to be honest, that was even kind of an underwhelming one as well, because it was like we could have you know, he, we got the Boston connection, but uh, he was an ESPN employee at the time, I believe. So I liked Bruce. Bruce was like one of my favorite Patriots. No, I, I just said the same thing. I, I love Bruce. It sounds but like I you think hate it was Brewski. an underwhelming. It was an underwhelming guest. Ooh, picker, what about Mike Rabel? Kid on the team. Uh, tennis. Where's Tennessee next week? I mean, that's yeah, they're, on, they're on a short here. week. They're playing tonight. So they're playing the Patriots. They're playing the Patriots on Sunday in Nashville. Where? Oh, in Nashville. Okay. Yeah. Otherwise, that would make a ton of sense. Yeah, I think it'll be someone on that list. I, I think that covers a lot of different spectrums. Um, I can't really think of anyone else that it might be that we didn't just cover. Yeah. So with that, let's move into a special edition Judius Corpus. We want to keep this kind of quick so we can leave time for, for the Clemson talk that we need to get to. So there's been a lot of talk with BC climbing up the rankings that we are still one of the dozen or so teams that are potentially or technically still alive for the CFP. So Matt, let's go into the courtroom here. I want to put Boston College on trial. All right, Matt, let's do it. Let's officially enter the courtroom. So the question at hand is, Boston College, are they guilty or not guilty of having a legitimate shot at the playoff? Yeah, and and it depends how you view um, preponderance of the evidence. That's like my new favorite buzzword, by the way. That's your new one. You used it last week. I know, week, I know. I know. Preponderance, that was electric. Um, and I think the official chances of it happening is what? Is it 6%? Did I get that number right? Well, the numbers don't matter. The question is, are they guilty of having a legitimate shot or not? Well, yeah, you know, they're not playing these games on a spreadsheet. We're pondering the evidence here, Matt. And we're, all right, so, well, you so, know what? Speaking of evidence, I'm going to do a discovery of evidence here. So first of all, shout out to our, our guys at uh, BC 24-7 now. So they did write a good article breaking this all down. We're also heavily relying on the nerds over at 538. I love those guys. I'm a math major, so I'm, I'm kind of one of them. Uh, but again, that's the discovery of the evidence. That's what's bringing us to this. So Matt, I'm going to make an opening argument here. This is a two-part case. So one, the question is, can we win out? Two, can enough happen that we get in? So the first part of that is we've been playing our best football as of late. Toughest test is clearly this weekend. But I'm going to make a motion that we've proven our ability to compete with everyone, which I would submit as evidence 
that implies that yes, we technically can win out. That's question number one. Yeah, we could we could so very easily win out against anyone in the country, except for Bama and Clemson. I'm saying if you're preponderating the evidence, which I am currently, right? If our schedule fell a different way, and say we beat NC State, right, and we're a one-loss ACC team, I think we 100% could run the table, except for Clemson, I don't know. right? Yeah. So fair, but again, I'm still going to submit evidence that we don't know until Saturday night, and we can potentially appeal this after Saturday okay. night. But so for now, right, so we're not talking football. We're talking like mathematically, could it happen? Matt, we're, first of all, we're going to get into predictions in a little bit, but yes, I think we can win this game on Saturday night. I don't want to spoil it, okay. but yes. <laughs> I'm trying to preponder your evidence here. Okay. So the second piece of this is the chaos. Can the other teams do enough to happen? So this is, Matt, get this. This is out of our jurisprudence. Ooh. Wow. Yep. But we will represent these teams in the courtroom pro bono. I'm on fire right now. I, I used your legal glossary, so credit to you there. So here's what we need. We need losses from Ohio State, which would most likely be to Michigan. We need a loss from Notre Dame, which would be Syracuse or USC. Well, take it a step back. We need a loss. We also yeah. need Bama to not lose, right? Correct. That, yep. Yeah, which we, that I feel fine about. Yeah, so we need we, – well, I mean, we need Bama to, to not lose, so they're locked in at number one. We need everyone else pretty much to, to lose. lose, right? To lose. Yep, yep. That's the, Oklahoma needs to lose to West Virginia or Oklahoma State. Right. West Virginia needs to lose to Oklahoma State or Oklahoma, so some combination there. And then, Matt, this one's special for you. I'm going to subpoena Eric Dungy and Syracuse as witnesses because we need their testimony big time, specifically as it pertains to Notre Dame. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and nothing changes, right? We're, we root against Notre Dame every single week, but this one in particular. And who, who do they have left on their schedule? They have Q's. Notre Dame is USC, USC Florida State, and, and Q's. Florida State's this weekend, right? So yeah. Florida State's got nothing to lose. And I think they've, they've probably all quit on the air. So um, I'm not going to hold my breath. And I said it a few weeks ago, Notre Dame has a loss on this schedule. I don't know who it's going to come from, but they've been completely untested outside of their first game of the year against Michigan, which doesn't really count. That was like years ago. And uh, I don't know. I believe in in Syracuse. And what a a, uh, finale it would set up for us the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, A Syracuse team coming off a win against Notre Dame. And it's essentially a play-in game for the, uh, or I guess for us, right? They'll already be eliminated. Yeah, it'll be for and us. And we all know how that ends with, you know, Diamond Fair. I won't even say his name. Hey, it's a different team, Matt. We're a different it team. It is. But uh, no, it's, it'll, it'll be funny to, to, or it'll be fun to see how, you know, the rest of the season plays out, obviously. But it is a lot that has to go our way, as you just touched on. And I think, I think 6% is what I read earlier. But obviously, if we beat, you know, the most of that is because, you know, no one's given us a shot against Clemson. If we beat Clemson. Right becomes a reality i think all right so so the burden of proof for me is on clemson to prove that we cannot win out uh but as of now i do think we're guilty of having a legitimate shot and we'll get into it in a little bit once we touch on the predictions but again matt this is subject to appeal after saturday night for now though boston college guilty of having a legitimate shot at the playoff yeah no i i I agree and i think you're badgering the witness a little bit there matt but i think that, that i think that pretty much sums it up what else on your duteous corpus here, Matt? That that's pretty much everything. That on was my it, list. Matt. I, I, there's only so many legal terms that I even remotely understand and probably use incorrectly, so I kind of fit them all into this little vignette uh, and did not leave time or space for anyone else. But we have a lot to talk about. It's game day week, so I don't to, think we need to spend time anyone else. It sucks to have to root for Bama, by the way. I, I hate rooting for Bama, but a one loss Bama team gets in over us 101, 101 times also, out of hundred, right? So I guess yes, we, uh, and they're fun and they're fun to watch lose in the playoff if that happens. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. All right, court is adjourned. All right, so let's talk Clemson. This is a humongous game for so many reasons. It's the de facto ACC championship play-in game, college game days on campus, top 15 matchup, everything you really could roll into, you know, just being an absolutely massive game on the Heights, and I could not be more excited. A couple of uh, fun – so I'm going to do fun facts here, but I'm going to do college game day edition fun facts so BC is one and one all time when they have hosted college game day. They won versus Florida State our freshman year and they lost to Florida State previously. Cuse, your team. So, which by the way, they might host at Yankee Stadium next week against Notre Dame. I could see that being a legitimate possibility. They've appeared on college game day twice as visiting teams, never hosted, but twice as visiting teams. Matt, in those two games, your boys have been outscored 121 to zero. Repeat that. Syracuse has appeared on college game day twice as a visiting team. Yep. In the two games that have resulted from the game day, 
they have been outscored 121 to zero. Wow. That's a stat yeah. right there. Yeah. So that's what I got. What, what are your fun facts here for either Clemson or college game day? Matt, I don't have any fun facts. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, did you know that every time Clemson uh, win or lose, the fans storm the field? Yeah, we talked about this last week when you complained about the red bandana thing. The fans rushed to the field to meet on the iconic paw and join together in the alma mater. It's a nice tradition. Also, the Clemson has its own resident DJ who keeps the fans hype on game day. Nice. We have Mr. Brightside. Do you want another one? No, that's good. Okay. All right. Cool. <laughs> a new tradition began when Clemson beat Notre Dame in 2015. Between the third and fourth quarter, the fans turn on their cell phones to light up Death Valley Stadium. Okay. What, but they've only played like noon games this year, so that doesn't really work. Right. Anyways, let's move it into the top six Tigers again, just to repeat the rules for the 12th week in a row. Because we played Clemson before, oh. we've already done their notable alumni. Matt, here, so here's now one. we're doing... Every time yep. Clemson gets a road win against a top 25 team, they add a tombstone to the graveyard in front of the indoor football practice facility. There are currently over 75 tombstones in the graveyard. So we've already done the alumni, so now we're going to do the top six Tigers. So, Matt, I'll let you go first. You're on fire here, so why don't you just go first? Okay, yeah. Uh, top five Tigers. Uh, for, for I guess the first one, um, Matt, I'll go with the Sabretooth Tigers, which went ex- extinct during the Ice Age. Um, but, Matt, did you know that uh, scientists uncovered some of their DNA recently and are actively trying to de-extinct, de-extinct them, which I... I didn't actually know it was a phrase either, but um, it's kind of like Jurassic Park, I guess, where they try to bring, you know. That seems like that's just a bad idea. I don't like messing with that stuff. What's Jurassic like the best Park, case it, scenario that, you know, they, right. they do come back to life and then they wipe out They look out cool humans. in a zoo. Like, that's it. Right. Yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. All right. I wish you didn't tell me that. That's kind of, that gives the Tigers a little credence here. Yep. Uh, I'll go with my top two picks. Tony the Tiger, Frosted Flakes mascot. Nothing else needs to be said. And the goat, Tiger Woods. He's officially back, by the way, which is great. Uh, those are my top two. Pretty easy. I don't know how you missed that with your first over. Sabretooth Tiger for me is not number one on my draft board. I read a fun fact about Tiger Woods that I didn't know. Did you know that his dad, who gave him the nickname Tiger, used to call him Sam growing up because he looked like a Sam? Matt, you're on fire with these fun facts, man. You got That's pretty good. Okay. Uh, my next one is going to be the cat in the hat, who is a... I, I kind of stretched the rules here. It's not really a tiger, but he is a cat. Matt, do you know how many famous tigers there are? You had to go for a, a house cat? <laughs> kidding me and everyone knows about the cat in the hat he sort of creates chaos when the uh the parents this is a, this is this is amazingly amazingly parents, you, you, you get an incomplete on this assignment the parents leave the house and uh, the cat creates chaos everyone knows that um and then uh tigger from winnie the pooh who bounces just all over the place um those are the those are the top tigers on my list here um garfield was an honorable mention okay somehow yeah uh, garfield is at least closer because i think he's orange right that would kind of work uh for my sixth pick, I'm going to go with Hobbs from Calvin and Hobbs. Just a great comic strip. Again, nothing else to really say. I think there's a lot of famous tigers, so I, I, I'm not sure how Cat in the Hat and Sabretooth Tiger slipped in here. I think I think I think we need a recount on that. Well, you know how we, we, we were pretty you know generous with the Hokies last week? Yep. Yeah. And we could do it's turkeys and gobblers basics. and stuff. Yeah. So I figured we right. could kind of use the entire category. Okay. I also don't think sure. there's that many famous tigers. All right, well, I'll give you the honorable mentions here that we missed. So, so Shere Khan was the bad guy in the Jungle Book. He was uh, Mowgli's nemesis. Baloo came and saved the day. Great movie. Uh, Richard Parker was the companion in Life of Pi. Basically, he lived on the water with the guy forever. But I don't, if, I don't know if that movie was like – it's kind of like Fight Club where I don't think it was all real. So, I don't know if the tiger was real. But anyways um, – and then I'm going to go Ty Cobb is when I think of Tigers, I think of Ty Cobb. Whoa. Uh, how does that work? Kind of a, ba- oh, kind of a bad Detroit guy. Oh, Detroit Tigers. You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of a bad guy, I they think. They used to clip people, right? Um, yeah. I got a couple others. I think he was like, I think he was like a pretty uh, ardent racist, too. Don't quote me on that. But I think everyone was guy. like in the 1920s, though. Um, I got a couple others. Mike the Tiger. Uh, I say LSU got smoked, but he's, he's just an all-time mascot. Um, and then the Tiger, who's in the bathroom in the hangover, is a, uh, is a real treat as well. Matt, literally all of those were better than Cat in the Hat. Yeah, Matt, I just thought it was it was the cat creates chaos um, and when he shows up at the house. All right, uh, let's keep it moving here. Is that all you, Tigers? Are you all tigered That's out That's all now? I got. Yeah, I'm all, I'm, all, I'm all tigered out. All right, let's talk tailgate ability. And this one's a special edition um, because we will be there officially live boots on the ground. Um, you have to be an idiot not to come up for this game. Don't care where you're from, whether you're in Australia or down the street. Um, this is a game you got to go to. It's college game day. The ACC Atlantic's on the line. And Matt, we joke around all the time. You know, it's our scale's out of 30, right? 
what is a 30? I, I think we're pretty darn close to, to a 30, right? We get college game day. We have what I'll call national championship implications, potentially, right? I know the weather is, and I'm sure you'll give us the, the full weather report as you always do. I will. Yep, I will. I, I see the weather, the weather almost as a positive in that it sort of equalizes the game a little bit. And I, I'm big on, all right, well, the game's going to be good. What's going to happen after the game? And it's always better to have a W than an L. So if the weather is not good, that means a uh, greater chance of a win for us, obviously. So um, with all that said, Matt, I'm going to go 29.4. Is it Bud Lights yeah, or I mean, RVs? Think, uh, Bud Lights, it's a home game. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. This is obviously off the charts and it's the highest that we've ever done and probably will do for some time. Game day, like you said, a top 15 matchup, a night game. So here's the weather forecast. Uh, so there's a slight chance of rain in, for, in the morning for game day, uh, but it's going to be in the 40s or so. It should be dry and partly cloudy, but there's a chance some of the overnight rain will, will lag into the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, maybe the students, if you're getting there at 7 o'clock, it might be a little wet, uh, but for, for TV, it should be fine. The tailgate is going to be bone dry and in the upper 30s, kickoff at 38 degrees. This is fall New England football. I mean, this is what you want, and sure, it would be more comfortable if this was a 70-degree night, but that's not New England football. That's not Boston College football. This is eagle weather, to steal a line from our uh, Bears fans in the Midwest, bear weather. This is eagle weather. This is when we shine, and this is when these southern teams that come up don't do well. We obviously saw what happened to Miami uh, two or three weeks ago at this point when they came up north and and had to deal with the cold. So this is, for me, that's a positive in the tailgate ability score. As you mentioned, the 30 is the highest. I feel like we can't give that ever because it's an impossible score. Um, you know, I think that we'd get closer if this was a one versus two matchup and it was Notre Dame and not Clemson and it was week 13. Like that's about as close as you can get. The knock to this one is that it is a 17 point underdog currently. So it's not projected to be a super close game. That's not going to affect our opinions on the game, but do you get the point? Um, but Otherwise, that's that's the only slightly negative thing I can come up with. I'm going higher than you. I'm going 29.72. I went to the hundredth. Did you do that? Well, I went to well, I went to the hundredth digit because we are so high on the scale here that I wanted to be very clearly demarcating in the event that we have other uh, scores have I, later. Have I ever been lower than you? Did I screw up there? Should I be no. higher? Yeah, you somehow did. Well, here's I, yeah. the, here's well, the to, thing too. It was, it was a little. And you know what screwed me up? Theory. I went higher because I knew I wanted to be higher than you. You know what screwed me up is like. The only thing that would be higher is if, like, it was a national championship or some type of. But that's just, that can't happen at all. That's what I'm saying. Well, what I'm saying this is like as good as number one BC, number one BC versus number two Notre Dame. I almost that's, don't think that's even that much better because, like, right now we're playing with house money. Like, yeah, but we're 17 point underdogs. That sucks. It's actually not that bad from a betting standpoint because it really it, it opens up the yeah, whole. Yeah, but no one's door. watching this for the spread. No one's watching this for no, the spread. No, but it's a component. If I'm going to bet on BC and if we cover, right, but the you're bet, watching for the win. You're watching for a win. Matt, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying it's it's an okay spread if you're a gambler. It's better than 16 and a half, for instance, especially like, especially the like Colts kicking. That has backdoor that written all over it. Well, that just it also has money line win written all over it. That's As right. we will get into now with that segue, let's get into actually how we match up and how this game is actually going to unfold. So we got about 10, 15 minutes here left, Matt. Uh, this is a, a jam-packed episode, so I'm okay with this running a little bit longer. Uh, but let's get right into it. Look, there's no other way to get around this. Clemson is an absolute machine. I don't know if they're quite at Alabama level, but beyond that, it is Alabama, Clemson, and then everybody else is playing for a distant third place, in my opinion. Lawrence, their their freshman stud quarterback, has been pretty unreal since he came in, uh, what, week four or five or so. Um, basically completely changed the offense and, and made them a better team. And then their running back, Etienne, um, could be pronouncing that one wrong, but... We'll no, go with this. Has been phenomenal on the on the ground as well. Their last four games have been absolutely scary. Average sixty points with a fifty one point average margin of victory. But I'm going to spin zone this here. This also means that they have not been tested or in a in a tight pressure situation really all season, or you know at least going back to Syracuse. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and just to, to backtrack a little bit. I mean, you're going to have some serious, uh, you know confidence in your freshman true freshman quarterback Trevor Lawrence to um you know 
be okay with sending Kelly Bryant packing, who led you to the college right. football playoff last year. And um, I, I certainly didn't believe a lot of the hype from him. Uh, you know, coming in, I, I kind of thought everyone was saying, oh, he's going to overtake Kelly Bryant in no time. He's one of the top quarterbacks to ever come through the state of Georgia, uh, which is very high praise. And then it was it was his really his first meaningful snaps. He took over uh, against A&M. And I think it was his first pass. He threw this absolute perfect ball to one of their top guys, T. Higgins. Um, it was like a, I don't know, 60 yard pass touchdown. And, uh, as soon as I saw that, I was like, all right, this guy might, this guy might be the real deal. So, um, you know, obviously Dabo is one of the best coaches in the country. Um, we haven't even talked about their defense yet. This defense came in as the number one potentially historical. Uh, historic defense, um, with that front four in particular. They got four first round picks right there. So, but they haven't really been tested, Matt. And, and so we don't really know what to make. There is no blueprint to how to beat this football team or, or really play them close with the exception of when Syracuse did it. Uh, but that was, you know, they were down to their third string quarterback. So this game is somewhat of a wild card, I, I guess optimistically. But you could also say that they've literally blown out anyone that is uh, comparable to Boston College. So uh, maybe it isn't all that uh, much of a wild card as we think. Yeah. So, I mean, you you did say it, but they clearly teams have been able to hang with them. I I don't want to say clearly because it's only been two teams, but Q's hung with them and A&M hung with them. So they're they're mortal in a sense. Um, As of this afternoon, BC had about 800 tickets left on their website. StubHub had about 1,100. So it's going to be a completely packed house. There will be a lot of orange, but it will be, I think, a very, very, very loud stadium with game day. People will be out in the general area of Brighton all day at the Cleveland Circle Bar. So it's going to be a loud, uh, you know, candidly pretty liquored up crowd, I would imagine. A little aggressive, very, you know, should be very hostile. And, you know, the big wild card here, and I, I don't like to just put all my eggs in this basket, but the weather might be a factor. These guys have never seen 30-degree weather. Trevor Lawrence came out today and said he's never even been north of the state of Virginia, which is bananas to me, first of all, that a, you know, whatever, 19-year-old has never been north no, that's of like the... A, that's been, like a brag down there. That's like, I've been to Virginia. You've never been out of the Confederacy, right? <laughs> well, Unreal. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. No, I know you're from down there, so I apologize. No, but, that's all right. No, but it's... It, it's but And I agree. When we tweet out analytics and, and some absurd stats saying this is what this team has done in cold weather. It is. Is. Let, me, let, me re- let me repeat that. This is the first time in the Dab- the second time in the Dabo era that they've played a game that has a, had a kickoff sub 40 degrees. The first time was in 2009 ACC championship game, which they lost. So they don't do this. They are out of their comfort zone. And that is the key. Clemson, all these dominant games they've put in have been in comfortable environments. A Clemson home game at noon against an inferior ACC opponent. They're, they haven't been on the road. Look, this kid is is phenomenal. He's got all the talent in the world, but he's still an 18-year-old kid. There's a there's definitely a a, a human and, and mental side to it where if you've got 40,000 very loud fans in a very cold environment against probably one of the best defenses he's seen in the last uh, you know month or so, something could happen here. That's all I'm saying. I don't disagree. I just think of it as uh, you know, and snow is one thing, right? If it's snowing, that's a great equalizer. Or rain, even, um, but cold weather. It's, you're still playing football, man. You're still you're still blocking. You're still you know uh, throwing the football and catching the football and all that. None of that changes, you know. But you and, saw this against have, you saw this you saw this against Miami. They had those heaters on the sideline, and, and and Todd Blackledge said it during the broadcast. It's not fun to tackle AJ Dillon in 35 degree temperatures. Like that just it hurts more. You're not you're not as loose. You're not as warm. I think that absolutely is a factor that. I don't know. I, I really and, – and I'll go, keep going back to the Miami game, but how they had all the heaters set up on the sideline and we just didn't have any. We're built for this. We're used to this. We're comfortable in this. These guys all played college football in these temperatures. I think there is a big mental toughness side of it when the weather gets cold. Most of our guys aren't even from Boston, by the way, either. I guess they're all from they're all, they're also, Ohio, New Jersey. Maryland. Yeah, I mean, they're all from the close north. En- yeah. Close enough, I guess. I guess. I, I just want to be careful saying, you know, because it's going to be cold out, that Dabo isn't going to have these guys prepared because I think that's uh, – that's that's a kind of a, a feeble thing to re- rely well, I'm, upon, I'm, right? I'm not, but I think it is. It's definitely a feather in our cap versus if this was a 70, 70 degree and sunny afternoon. Yeah, I guess I guess looking back at, at some other historical metrics, um, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I'll do, I'll do the best I can, him at. But Coach Adazio, more often than not, plays the top teams pretty tight. Um, and a lot of that was having Don Brown for a couple of years, right? So, um, right. that was a defense that never really allowed the game to get out of hand. Um, but if you take away 2016, which was the year that, you know, we didn't really have a defense and we gave up 50 plus to Devatek, Louisville, uh, Florida State, and Clemson, all of my thick. Um, you take that out and 
all these games are close against the top competition. That was that was one of my main, uh, you know, last year at this or you know a, a year ago last year when I was defending Daz against everyone that wanted to fire him. You know, so, so kind of brag there for me, Matt. Um, <laughs> but it, it was it was kind of like th- this coach knows how to play in big time football. You know, he, he he was a coordinator at Florida, and and he's a, he's a guy that knows how to play the big dogs close. So that's why I don't think we're gonna get blown out. And again, I don't have the numbers to, to back it up here, but you look at the game that we played against them last year. I think we lost by what? It was. It ended up being three or four scores, but they scored like yeah. But three we're of tied those. going into the fourth. Exactly. Yeah, we're tied going into yeah. the fourth, and then they somehow scored a million touchdowns with like five minutes to go, um, and it became you know a, a box score that didn't look that good. But we played these guys extremely tight for three and a half quarters last year. I think we would all agree that the team this year is way better, right? On both sides of the ball. We, we have, you know, Zach Allen, who, who's playing absolute lights out football. We get the linebackers back. Um, our secondary can play with anyone. I don't know. I, I think our defense in particular will continue to step up. And I don't think they're going to be scared of a, a freshman quarterback that looks like Sunshine. Um, by the way, he hates being called Sunshine. So anyone that's listening right now, if, if you're looking for a game day sign idea or just, just something to yell, um, call him Sunshine because he hates that. That'll get into his head. But I don't think these guys are scared. I, I really don't. I think the running backs, a poor man's AJ Dillon, it's a poor man's Al, uh, Travis Levy, by the way. I'm not impressed by Etienne yep, or whatever that, true. whatever that French name is. Um, but they always have good receivers and they, they do have a pretty good passing attack this year. So I'm not saying it's not a good football team, but I'm saying our defense can keep us in it. The wild card is on offense. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we keep talking about Lawrence and the talent that he has. But like I said, he's still a freshman and he's never been in this pressure packed environment against a great defensive line. So to me, that's the key of this game. The D line needs to get the pressure to rattle him, to get in his face and, you know, to, to allow some balls to be thrown that are ill-advised and to let our D backs go to work. We talked about that last week, but that's kind of where our defense excels is when everything is working in concert, the pressure leads to bad throws, which leads to uh, game changing plays, if we let him have time and he's comfortable, I do think he'll feast. And I, you know, I think he'll be able to take the crowd out of it pretty early. So we, we really need to keep the crowd in it. And by doing so, we need big plays. And we need to keep it close. On the offensive side of the ball, we need to be as aggressive, if not even more so than we're against Miami. Daz has touted this trick play Rolodex many times now. He I seemed to pretty now. much... We're officially well, he out. Say, he, he only used one against Vatek, so I think that there's going to be that a was lot the more. One that, we, that was the only one we had left, I think, if you, if you do the math. He alluded it he, he alluded it to his, he alluded to it in his press conference this morning that he wants to get aggressive. So I think that's his code word for saying, guys, I've got literally 300 trick plays here, and we're not going to run a single you know traditional play-action pass or anything like that. It's all going to be flea flickers and jet sweeps. So I'm here for that. And, you know, we got to throw some different things at them and, and, and let our skill players and our talent really go to work. Um, but I'll, I'll roll into my prediction here. At the end of the day, we need to see what Clemson can, can do under pressure for the first time in a long time. A loud crowd, freezing cold, a great defense, some of the best defensive ends, defensive backs, and, and O-line that they face in the, in the country. I mean, Clemson's D-line is incredible. You know, five NFL starters pretty much, but our O-line is, is by far the best that they've faced so far this year. So every single unit is going to be tested. The question is, are they ready for it? Dylan, if he's healthy, that's huge, but we need him at a minimum playing just to at least change the defensive schemes a little bit. And I think we've been alluding to this throughout the course of the episode, and I don't think anyone's going to be surprised if you know us, or if you listen to us, but Matt, we're going to shock the world. It's going to be a nail biter, but this second half team is going to step up once again. The defense is going to step up once again. This is not going to be an easier, fun game to watch. Kind of similar to what we've seen. The first half might not be going our way, but the second half, things are going to change. It's going to be an all-time win for Boston College and the entire Eagles football program. Final score, I'm going 35-31 with a late-game touchdown to put us in the lead for good. I love that, Matt. That's a that's a hell of a prediction. Um, 35 points on this defense is quite an accomplishment. Um, I got three keys to the game here. Um, I only have two, but I'm, I'm thinking I'll come up with a third on the fly. Number one is he got to force turnovers. This team is uh, is over the past couple of years has forced forced more turnovers than anyone in the country. Trevor Lawrence doesn't throw a ton of picks, um, so you just got to get him however you can, uh, whether it's forcing fumbles, whether it's uh, blocking some punts. And actually, that that's going to lead into my into my second key here, Matt. Uh, special teams. We got We got to be net positive on special teams, whether it's a blocked punt, you know, whether it's Mikey Walker breaking off a huge return, and then number three, which I haven't come up with yet, Matt. 
Number three is going to be coaching. How's that? Number three is going to be Coach Adazio making whatever halftime adjustments he needs to, whatever he needs to do. I mean, you, you throw this is this is our Super Bowl, right? Clemson's still got to you know play a lot of meaningful games after this. They're looking ahead potential to the championship game. Uh, this is this is BC's Super Bowl times a million. So whatever Steve Adazio has learned in his days coaching in the last fifty eight years, uh, it's time to put those to use. Um, do whatever you got to do. And my official prediction here, Matt, and I don't know if I believe it yet, 24-23 Boston College with uh, our defense stepping up huge with at least three interceptions. Let's go. I absolutely love it. Um, said it at the beginning, but just what a time to be an Eagle and a fan of this football team. Saturday literally cannot get here soon enough. Like we said earlier, we'll both be up in Boston all weekend just going to be an absolute hell of a time be on the lookout for the koozies we've got a few of those we'll be giving away at game day and on brighton yeah and, we'll uh, see and follow you guys us on twitter in, in between so we'll be at game day obviously in the morning and then we'll be bouncing around somewhere between city side and, and, and ma so we'll be the guys with the koozies swing by say hello and uh it'll be a great day yeah follow us on twitter and the gram at fourth and dude we'll be churning out uh, a lot of content and you know trying to keep uh, you know, kind of an update on, on how our day. So if you're looking for us and uh, also give a follow to our guys over at 24 seven, they're at Eagle insiders. They'll be putting out a ton of great stuff all week as they always do to get everyone ready for Saturday. Matt, I'll just say that this could end up being a first ballot hall of fame day in the history of Boston college. It's time to shock the world and remember that the road to Santa Clara, not Charlotte, Santa Clara, cause we're officially back. The road to Santa Clara still goes through Chestnut Hill. It's always a great day to be a dude.